Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Dental IQ, a place where you're gonna hear from some of the most accomplished names in dentistry. I'm your host, Fabio Alfieri, and this week we're interviewing Dr. Fadi Yasmin, one of the most well-respected names in Australian dentistry. On this episode, we're gonna be talking about Dr. Yasmin's clinic down in Sydney, FY Smile, and the environment that he's created for his patients there. We also talk a little bit about the technology that Dr. Yasmin uses in his clinic, uh, such as All On 4 and Digital Smile Design, and how he uses them to provide the most elite level of patient care. Stay tuned and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Dr. Fadi Yasmin. Thank you so much for joining us on Dental IQ this week. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure to be here. Dr. Fadi, you are easily one of the most well-respected names in Australian dentistry today. And there's heaps and heaps of stuff that I want to jump into and pick your brain about. But I think our audience might want to hear a little bit about yourself to kick off with first. Um, I know that you studied at the Sydney University and you've also had the opportunity to study at the prestigious King's College. Can you tell me about your time at Sydney University? Uh, that was a great time. That was my undergrad degree at Sydney Uni. I graduated in 1993, so it's been a little while. It was an amazing degree, uh, a really well-respected degree. Um, it was five years back then. So that was really the, I guess, the foundation for, for my hunger for learning and, and pretty much my dental career. Um, I really, really enjoyed my undergraduate degree. I know things have changed with current programs. So I really do owe a lot to that particular part of my dental sort of uh, learning, so to speak. Mm. And what pushed you towards the industry itself? What was it? Was it sort of an early interest, you know, in your days of you know schooling, or was it sort of a, a post graduating high school decision that made you want to jump into dentistry? It, it was no, it was an early interest. Uh, I did always find it fascinating and in the sense of there was a couple of sort of family friends that were dentists and I was intrigued by uh, the amount of knowledge and the level of sort of uh, daily works. For me, it was about having a scope or, or, or having a profession that every day is a new challenge. Um, I did sort of uh, speak to a lot of doctor friends of mine that were sort of uh, uh, having GP practices. They felt their days were a little bit monotonous. Surgeon, mm. surgeon friends were that's a different level in terms of uh, what they were experiencing. So for me, dentistry, I thought was the first sort of contact where you could have such a varying scope of, of procedures uh, under the one umbrella. And the more right, I looked right. into it, the more I realized there was such a wide variance in what you can do in dentistry. And uh, from that, that was sort of the impetus for it. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Was there in your time at university then, was there a particular topic sort of area, whether it be orthodontics or whatever other topic within dentistry that kind of stood out to you nice and early? Like two things that I really enjoyed, even though we didn't get to do a lot of it was, well, orthodontics, there wasn't much orthodontics training as an undergrad. That was something that was quite limited. So I didn't really get to uh, really dive into that till I graduated. But one thing that always captured sort of uh, my imagination and I had a passion for is oral surgery. So mm. oral surgery and restorative surgery. So two totally separate areas are two diverse fields of dentistry. And they're usually two separate specialties. Um, the fact that, you know, doing oral surgery in the mouth and just what you can achieve. And back then it was only as, as complicated as extractions, but I did find it fascinating. I did spend a bit of time with some max fax surgeons, uh, maxillofacial surgeons assisting mm -hmm. as an undergraduate, which always fascinated me, you know, fixing up broken jaws. Um, some early reconstructive jaw surgery was always amazing. Um, and then there was also the restorative side, you know, the crowning, 
um, capping teeth. I always found that fascinating to be able to achieve that and restore a totally broken down crumbled tooth to a beautiful, you know, anatomical specimen. So two mm. totally different areas of dentistry requiring two totally different mindsets. And at that point, I realized, wow, um, you know, this profession, if, if you treat it with such passion, you won't get bored because one day you could be doing some surgery. Another day you're, you're rebuilding someone's dentition, two totally different umbrellas. So Absolutely. It was great. And I, I suppose both of those things bring such fulfillment and satisfaction when you can actually provide a brand new smile to somebody. The, the feeling that they must have when they look in the mirror for the first time almost projects directly onto you because, you know, you're responsible for giving them that. So, I mean, I, I, it's great to hear that you enjoy sort of the mixed bag of lollies that dentistry is and sort of new, every day is a new challenge because I suppose irregardless of what you do, you're providing, you know, a healthier smile and a, you know, a more aesthetically pleasing smile, which is always going to make people happier. So that's, that's incredible. Um, now, how long between you graduating Sydney University did you study your, I believe it's Masters in Aesthetic Dentistry, if I'm correct, at the prestigious King's College? Yeah, yeah. I think it was about uh, 15, 15 or 20 years after I graduated that I did my Masters. There was obviously a lot of uh, shorter courses, diplomas, uh, you know, uh, certificates and, and all different post-grad courses all over the place. But my mm -hmm. biggest uh, sort of commitment was the master's program at King's College. So that would have been about, I would say about 20 years after I graduated, which for me was a long time because uh, the way it was at Sydney Uni when I graduated was a little bit different um, to when uh, when I enrolled at the King's College. You know, we didn't have things like Turnitin, which was a... <laughs> which is special software that checks uh, any plagiarism. Not that I had an issue with that. I was like, that was a shock to me. Um, you know, just just what was being done as an undergraduate in the you know in the early nineties to what's expected. So that was a learning mm. curve, and it was funny because I'd be I'd be doing my assignments and all these projects, and my kids would walk past me and they'd look at me. They go, "Oh, are you still on that?" I'd be like, you know, it would take me forever to do keynotes and, and you know. And, 10,000 word essay, I would take days, but it was great. It was a great learning experience. Mm. But for me, it was amazing doing it because I did have 20 years under my belt plus of aesthetic dentistry. So it was just uh, the icing on the cake and just to, to be able to take it up a level at such a prestigious uh, college as well. Right, right. And since um, sort of completing your master's in aesthetic dentistry, have you sort of continued your, I mean, uh, being a dental professional, I'm sure you'd have to, but have you continued your education process? Are, are there any fields As that in, you're currently, currently looking into um, sort of learning more about? Oh, well, I just finished uh, my, well, last year I finished my grad, post-grad diploma in orthodontics. So formalized my orthodontics. I did a post-grad diploma in orthodontics from uh, the school of uh, London School of Dental Medicine, and I've also got a diploma in orthodontics in digital orthodontics for Aligners wow. and Invisalign. So mm. even though I'd been doing orthodontics for a good part of my dental career, uh, I decided to get a, a formalized post-grad degree in that uh, discipline because I do a lot of it. A lot of it's pre-aesthetic. So a lot of my patients where we're doing veneering and crowning, uh, I tend to straighten the teeth first because it gives you a much nicer shape, arch form, um, it, it suits it suits the face a lot more. So when mm. you come along and do your aesthetic work, if, if the foundation's in the right position, it just makes it easier. So again, mm. that was another one added to the list and it continues. My um, big thing at the moment is just uh, looking at soft tissue regeneration 
So a lot of people have receding gums and a lot of that's important before you do any orthodontics or aesthetic work. So that's something that I'm really, uh, really pushing and uh, really sort of furthering my knowledge in an ever-changing field. Yeah, I like that point that you made about sort of setting that foundation of a smile with orthodontics, you know, straightening the teeth before you begin any other work. So you kind of have that blank canvas to work on. Now, that, that makes perfect sense. Is that sort of a, a strategy that you take with all patients looking for um, a cosmetic sort of lift to their smile? Is it always beginning with that foundation of straightening? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much it, most of these patients do need that. There's patients that come in that have had the orthodontics already, which is great. And with digital smile design and the technology we have, we can test it. We can say, okay, well, this is your existing dentition. You've had previous orthodontics. We can test how it sits within the parameters of the smile. So yeah. doing a trial smile or a mock smile allows me to confirm that. And sometimes there's cases that are borderline, but you don't know until you do your smile design, you think, well, you know what? I can get away with it. You don't need that extra orthodontics. And other yeah. cases, it's, it's a no-brainer. You definitely need it. Otherwise, and the other important thing is if you don't have the foundation, I will have to cut a lot more of your tooth structure. Right. And as soon as you mention that, people realize and they sit up and listen. They say, well, you know what? I don't want to lose any more of my tooth. It's already mm. a semi-invasive procedure as it is. So if I move your tooth in the right position, it means I have to grind less because mm. uh, what I tell all my patients, no matter what you do, it has to be redone. So if I can yep. set you up that you've got enough tooth structure, if you really need veneers or whatever restorative, um, yep. then you know down the track, 10, 15, down the track, you've got a still foundation to work with. And that's yeah. another important point. For sure. Because I mean, realistically, at the end of the day, regardless of how great the dentistry is, it, it, 10, 15 years is really the time frame that this work is going to last. At some point, you're going to have to get it redone and touched up, right? That's right. And, and 10, 15 is at best. If everything mm. lines up, you do. And we try and do that. I mean, there's things that, that you can't control. Sometimes nerves go, you might have to address. And it doesn't mean they all disintegrate at that point. It could be one tooth that's an issue that you have to deal with. It could be a, a nerve that plays up. You might chip a tooth um, that you need to address. But the idea is that you, you've got to go in there with a long-term plan and you've got to still see what the plan is post 10, 15 years. And hopefully as we progress with technology, it's just going to get better and better. And that's what I say. I say, if I can hold you out for the maximum permissible time now with current technology, then God knows what we're able to yeah, achieve definitely. in 10 or 15. Because I look at where we're at now, where we were 10 or 15 years ago, mm. it's incredible. So for, sure. for me, there's a lot of hope in that respect. So my aim is to hold you out until then, because I know we're going to be in a better place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you said, the care is only getting better. So the technology that's going to be around then, you know, God knows what we can do for sure. So Fatty, I know that aesthetic dentistry is a big part of what you do. Um, has this always been the case in your, your career? So after graduating from university uh, in Sydney, your first job as a dentist, has aesthetic dentistry always been a big part of what you do? Well, I, look, I was blessed with an excellent mentor. For me, mm. it was like I was probably, I, I would say I was one of the most luckiest students in dentistry. Um, I had one of my tutors in final year had mentioned to me, um, you should go and see this colleague of mine. He's not looking for a dentist, but I think you should go spend a day there. I've recommended you. So I went to this uh, dental practice and he's an amazing practitioner. Two things he taught me. Firstly, you really do need to study all aspects of dentistry. 
whether you master them or not, you have to have a profound understanding. And he was the one that pushed me in, uh, in the line of orthodontics. He said, once mm. you understand orthodontics, you will understand a lot of facets of aesthetics of dentistry, tooth position, bite, occlusion, and so forth. So I dived straight into the orthodontics and he was an interesting character. He was a general dentist that restricted his practice to orthodontics because he loved it so much. He just decided that's all I'm going to do. And, um, and I started working with him and started to do all these orthodontic tracings and analysis and started basically doing braces and plates and so forth. And the knowledge just went through the roof. So I was quite lucky in that sense. And he was also uh, quite a good clinician that multidisciplinary approaches. He would straighten teeth then he would move them on to his restorative dentist to, to build up the crowns. And, and, and we're talking early nineties. He was right, way right. ahead. And for me, that was an excellent foundation. And that's where I got the mindset to be able to do these cases, whether it's aesthetic or more so biomimetic, you know, being able to match things. For me, the aesthetic started by the, the ability to, if you have a cap or a crown, to match it so that nobody can see that it is a, a fake tooth or a fake crown. So that's where my love of aesthetic started. So to be able to match and biomatch. And then from there, I started to develop an understanding for aesthetics. So if I could biomatch, what if I can change all of them and match them? Right. And, and that's where right. the whole aesthetic passion came through. But the initial passion came through trying to do something that nobody could pick. That was my mm. obsession for the first, I'd say, 10 years of dentistry where I was slotting things in where I would say, can you pick the crown? And I used to get right, so right. excited about it. Obviously, I didn't get out much, but that was my <laughs> initial thing. I mean, there's a, there is a massive degree of art that comes to aesthetic dentistry. And I think oh. exactly what you're saying is, is that to a T where how can you create something that is so realistic that it looks like it was, you know, grown in the mouth naturally like all your other teeth? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you want to do. And what helped me and the big turning point for me, obviously, um, studying aesthetic para parameters, seeing the great clinicians around the world, case after case. But for me, the biggest life-changing thing was when I mastered my photography. Because once mm. you start phot photographing your own work, you realize you just realize how crap it is sometimes. You know, you can always <laughs> say, oh, look at this case, look at it. But once you start analyzing it, macro, you know, 20 times magnification, then you could really be a critic of your mm. own work. And that's when I realized when I started photographing and thinking, God, I'm not as good as I think. And that's <laughs> when you're, um, that's when the, the level of practice just goes through the roof. Definitely. If you can photograph something at uh, such a magnification and then basically be able to criticize it or even say that's excellent dentistry, then you're doing well because you're mm. not going by memory. And it used to be cases that I'd see and I'd pull out old cases that I had photos of, compare them to now. And I think, mm. oh my God, how could I, how could I let that happen? For sure. um, because as you, as you criticize and as you've got, you know, software and new parameters to be able to analyze, you just want to get better. You really want to move up. There's a plateau, but you want to continue to move up. For me, I feel every case that I do is better than the previous because there's always something I have to think about. Mm. There's always something I'll learn. The photography yeah. on my toes. The photography is such an interesting point because I suppose you're always your own biggest critic. And if you can have the tools that allow you to be a bigger critic of your own work, then realistically, it's only going to get better for you. Um, and that's one thing coming into my own profession that I was shocked by very early. I follow a lot of dentists on Instagram and I'm like, what? 
why are so many dentists so incredible at photography? Why is, why is this such a big thing for so many dentists? Yeah. Because if you look at all their profiles, they have the most incredible high quality photos of the work that they do on display for people to see. And it makes perfect sense with you saying that where it's, it's a tool to be able to critique the work that you do because you're obviously operating at such a fine sort of detailed uh, aspect um, in somebody's mouth. So oh, that's, I, that's- I absolutely yeah. love- love dental photography i mean i'm obsessed with it the problem is it can you know you can really turn you into um it, it can really play up with your ocd because mm. you just you know your your macro lens you you at high magnification and every single angle and you can check the textures and it can really really drive you nuts but it's the only way to keep a check on yourself because yeah, if you're photographing sure. something and it doesn't look good you know you know, the, the photograph doesn't lie. So you just yeah. got to keep perfecting it. No, that's And great. it's also that's a great. diagnostic tool as well. Mm. I mean, it's also, we use it during treatment. We use it to communicate with our laboratories. We use it to communicate with other dentists. So it's not only just to visualize and, you know, self-assessment. It's part of the process. It's part Definitely. of the process of communicating with the uh, patient. When I do my smile designs and my mock-ups, photography is part of the presentation. Um, to be able to visualize and show the patient, you know, what's the best they can look if I design these teeth and this is what it would look like. So mm. photography for every dentist is very important and it's very Definitely. underutilized. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of attention to detail, because uh, that's something that you're obviously very good at. And I have to mention that FY Smile in Sydney has to be, I mean, is arguably the most beautiful clinic in Australia. And oh, for all of our you. listeners, for anybody who hasn't seen it, please look it up. Um, it is immaculately presented and it is one of the most modern, I'm cleanest. I can't even describe it with words. It is unbelievable I the like job the that you guys clean, have done down there. Clean. <laughs> clean it is. Clean it's is very... The design is clean. It's obviously a clean clinic, but it's, the design is clean. It's futuristic. It's modern. And I, you can just tell that the technology that would be within those four walls would be beyond anything that your regular dentist is using as well. So I kind of wanted to hear from you what it was like conceptualizing that space and why it was important to you to create an environment that was so welcoming uh, and sort of such an incredible experience for your patients. Okay, it's, I mean, the practice in my head was, I mean, I've, I've had my previous practice for, for nearly 25 years. And even when we first started that, it was considered at the forefront, uh, the idea of flowing rooms. I was always big on ergonomic um, treatment rooms, the idea of minimal movement so that patients are lying down, they're comfortable, but there's minimal movement around so that the dentist is in a position. It's actually a Japanese philosophy. So I was always a big fan of of Japanese dental equipment. And part of that, um, which was introduced to me by my mentor years ago, and part of that was ergonomic flow. So I took that ergonomic flow concept and put it into the whole practice. So the flow would start from when you walk in, the idea is that everything's soft and rounded. Um, I know from dentistry, sharp line angles aren't good. Everything that's rounded is stress-free. So that whole that whole concept where you, you know, we, we use a lot of curves. Um, it's inviting. When you get to the clinical side, the, the waiting side, the, the waiting room side is, is supposed to be harmonious. There's gardens and there's all these things. But when you get to the clinical side, I wanted to be clinical. It is nice and white and mm -hmm. sterile. At the same time, you know, this is where everything happens. It has to be sterile. It has to have all the, so you can't have the same setup you've got outside 
in the clinical room. So there's all these things that we have to look at. For sure, for sure. And for you, why do you think the environment is, I mean, well, for you, for yourself, Fadi, do you think the environment is just as important as the care and the procedures and the treatment for the patient? 100%, they're intertwined because the environment itself, it's not only for the patient, it's also for the dentist and the staff. You know, you work in a beautiful space that works. So it's not only about being beautiful, it also has to be functional. Everything flows, the delivery of service. I mean, having all the right materials, having the right tools. Patients are in, in, in you know, in an environment that's working and functional. It just makes things easier. I, then I can deliver what I promise or I can deliver what I say I can deliver. Um, mm -hmm. For me, 10 hours goes by. I don't even realize I'm at work. I mean, before I know it, I look at the clock, it's, it's you know, six at night. It's because mm -hmm. it just happens. Uh, and Definitely. it's such a, it, it's important. It's so important to have a nice environment. Dentistry is very stressful. High-end dentistry is even more stressful. Patients are coming in here expecting the best treatment, and so they should. They're paying for the best treatment. So everything, there shouldn't be any excuse. You know, I can't have an excuse for having a bad day with none of my staff can be. At the same time, mm. we're in a perfect environment. So we've set everything up so everybody can have good days. And so far, yeah. it's working. Definitely. And I, you know, for me, it takes patient care to another level almost because of course you invest in the best processes or the best technologies and procedures for patient care. But a big thing of going to the dentist for a lot of people is how anxious they become to do it. And that unfortunately pushes back how often they actually come to the dentist, which is doing more harm to yeah. them, obviously, than good. So it takes patient care to another level because not only are you trying to care for their teeth the best, you're actually caring for them within the environment to make them comfortable so that they actually enjoy visiting the dentist, which is not something that you hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, I love going to the dentist. You know, it's my favorite thing to do. So I think by having a great environment like this, it it actually provides an element of that. And I know if I lived in Sydney that visiting FY Smiles Clinic would be something that you know what I'd find enjoyable all the time. So no, I think, I think it's really commendable to do something like that. And I also wanna hear a little bit about on that point, the technology that you've got within the clinic as well. What was it like sort of during the development of that space, trying to find the most advanced things that you could include in there, whether it be the chairs or you know the TVs on the wall and things to absolutely increase the care that you guys provide in-house yeah i mean i've always been a big fan of technology but not more so technology as a fad technology to assist me in doing what i do um, right. i've always invested heavily in cbct so it's like a, a dental ct scan and that is is like a ct everybody that comes in has the equivalent of a ct scan but it's very low dose so it uses a dental dosage but I'm able to see the sinuses, the individual teeth, the bone levels, everything. And that sort of technology is something that I've been working with for a while. So for us, it was inevitable that we had to get the latest version of that. And for me, that's imperative for diagnosis. Um, we've got our scanners, intraoral scanners, which are a big part of uh, our uh, the printing uh, protocols. We've got milling units, printing. Um, we do use a lot of the AV. So we've got multiple screens that's so that I can show the patient at the same time I've got my radiographs, I've got my plan for my preps or design on another screen, everything's in front of you. Um, it's like being in the cockpit of a plane, there's multiple screens so that things are happening all the time. The more information you have, nothing gets missed. And it's not just a big show, it really is. So I can perform at optimal 
um, because everything's so delicate and so specific. The more information I have, the less likely any mistakes are going to be made. And right. that's where I see technology. Technology is more so to assist you to deliver what you intend to deliver. And with what we're using here, we've handpicked what is the best. Um, mm. From scanners to, to CBCT to radiology, and even the way the whole place is networked, our ability to show existing cases to patients and being able to log in, um, have everything uh, online, have everything in the cloud, instantly being able to pull up stuff. Um, it is it is awesome. Yeah, for sure. And you said just then that it's about delivering what you intend to deliver for your patients. And I think a big part of that is also the use of DSD. So DSD obviously stands for digital smile design. And I, I've actually heard you say before that you, you personally believe that this is one of the biggest advancements in dentistry, uh, I mean, in the past, you know, 10 years or so. And I want to hear what it's like using that system for your patients to be able to provide them with an accurate representation of what their smile is going to look like once the work's complete? I mean, this has changed my dentistry completely. It's sort of flipped it on its head. The, the confidence that I can do a digital smile design for someone and mock it up and show them in the mouth and sit there and watch their face when I tell them this is what I can do for you has set me back in terms of, it's like I just graduated from dentistry. <laughs> I mean, the enthusiasm and where I'm at, where I can see the potential. And I've worked closely with the, the, the founders of Digital Smile Design when I first met them eight, nine years ago. And I've just continued to push and push the envelope in terms of what we're able to achieve and working closely with, the, with them over the years. And it really is probably one of the most life-changing tools as an aesthetic dentist, but even as a surgeon as well, we use it also for, for our surgical cases. But, but for veneers and aesthetic work, to be able to design specifically, I mean, we even design these cases where I have to do some gum surgery and, and alter the gum line and so forth. We're even using the digital smile design to guide us for the gum surgery because we know the final position. So we're creating these tools and little guides to, to guide us during surgery. So it's, it's incredible what it's done in terms of being able to, again, deliver exactly what we're um, showing the patient, which is, which is next level in terms of right. uh, treatment delivery. And is, uh, is it natural files? Is that something that you guys use with the DSD system itself? Is that where you are taking an, a, a real smile and you're actually copying that smile and yes. sort of adapting yes. it to the you know, specific patient's you know, facial shape and, and using it that way? Yep, yep. So you've certainly done your homework. Yeah, the natural files <laughs> is what's changed digital dentistry. Uh, originally, uh, there was hard analog models where people with technicians were using these. So when they were waxing up tooth, they would look at it and say, yeah, or they would use it as a, it's almost like a, uh, it's like a, an artist painting a, a someone. They would have the model there. So they would have a whole row of these teeth and they would copy them for the dentist. But with the advent of digital, We've got a, a whole database, beautiful HD individual smiles, which you can even cut. So you might use the centrals of one, the laterals of another, right, and we right. know the sizing. So we cut and paste. We've got them grouped in, uh, in types of shape, which is related to, to gender, which is related to jaw size. So we can pick a whole ton, you know, a whole 10 uh, of different size centrals, 
We can place them on the design. Do we like that? Do I like that? Do I want more square? Do I want more rounded? And these are all copy and pasted. So that's the first step, being able to use natural shapes. The next beautiful part is those natural shapes can be actually literally copied in the ceramic, even down to the divot. So it's a HD replica of that particular tooth. Then the technology allows you to mill it in such detail that you will get the striations, the little grooves that Mother Nature's put on the original person's teeth. Mm. It's incredible. We've done cases where we've scanned someone and we milled a scan of his teeth and we put them next to each other. You couldn't tell which was the fake mill and the actual tooth. Wow. We were able to replicate Mother Nature so well. So when we scanned it in HD, we had all the we had all the contours. And by milling one and put it next to each other, you couldn't tell which one was the real tooth and which was the one that I just made. That's incredible. So the technology, the copy, we call it copy-paste technology. It sounds a lot easier than it is. <laughs> but you're literally copy and pasting the perfect uh, dentition on there. Right. I completely understand now why you are so avid about being on the front foot of things like this, because the time that that would save you in clinic, but not only that, the the end result that that would impact would just be immeasurable. Uh, like, I, yeah, definitely. Because how do you how do you compete with Mother Nature? You can be the most mm. amazing ceramicist in the world. You are never going to be able to achieve something. I mean, and they say it takes a ceramicist 25 years to get to that level where they can recreate a tooth. Now, there's not many of those around the world. And if you did have to find them, crowns would be three times as expensive yeah, because these guys are like artists. They're absolute <laughs> artists. You, you've got to watch out when you ring them. You, you don't know when you're going to get the crown back. It could be four weeks, could be two months because they're, they're <laughs> that, the true artists. So they're making it, layering it. Now it's like, okay, I will copy and paste the best 50 teeth that I can see and then I will fit that onto the model and then I'll let Mother Nature do Mm. the work and then I will trial it and mock it up first. If I'm happy with it, then let's go. And then let's let's mill that and perfect it. And how long have you been using it for? Since when you started using it, did it make a significant difference like between that process? It was a quantum leap. It cha- yeah, yeah I can it imagine. changed my dentistry completely. Um, two yeah. things. I was able to deliver to the millimeter in 3D exactly what I've showed you in the mouth. So all my cases previously were great. I would do a hand, hand wax up. I would get my technician and we'd give the parameters and then we would copy it and it looks good. But now we are so specific in the delivery that if I show you the trial smile mock-up and the final, they're almost identical, except one's plastic and one's ceramic. So for me, it's it's so accurate that I I know what I can deliver, but also it tells me I know what I can't deliver. So Mm. if I sometimes will do a mock-up and I see something that is a little bit ambitious, the, the smile design will flush that out. It'll say there's no way you can do that without doing surgery or without moving this tooth. So it also helps with diagnosis as well, which is really important because you're not going to commit a patient to treatment and get to the end point and say, oh, it wasn't as good as I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. And the poor patient spent thousands. So it does help you with diagnosis as well. And that's really important because mm. then I can say, well, I'm not going to be able to achieve this without you committing to orthodontics or you need to do some gum surgery prior. So there's all these things and it helps you communicate with the patient. Then they'll see the reason. So, yeah, I understand. I can see why that's sticking out. So if I push that in, I'm going to get a better result. 
So yeah. it helps your communication as well in getting the ideal treatment across the line. So essentially it's acting almost as guardrails and saying, hey, you can operate within these two guardrails of being able to do this, this, and, and this. this is what you're going to get. Yep. Yeah, right, right. And if you want to do this, then it's going to be more extreme procedure. Or if you want to do this, it's going to require X, Y, Z. Yeah. Okay. So yep. it's exactly, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, well, speaking of quantum leaps and technology, I know that um, all on four is a big part of your practice. Um, and uh-huh. you are obviously um, were one of the very first pioneers of what all on four became. And I want to hear a bit about what that looks like in your clinic today. Is that a common practice that occurs often? How was that technology sort of, how did that change what you do every day? Well, I mean, I, I had been doing uh, full implant rehabilitations for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, probably I'd say 15, no, probably close to 20 years. But when I was introduced to the all on four system, I just found uh, by a colleague of mine who, who was quite experienced in it, I just found compared to what I was doing, it made a lot more sense. Um, firstly, I didn't have to wait uh, to, to be able to do the implants and wait over six to 12 months before we could put the, the teeth in. What I loved about it is the immediacy um, being able to go within a few days from a failing dentition or no dentition to have a fixed set of teeth. And mm. for me, that that just blew my mind in being able to do that. So once I had to get my head around, you know, the logistics and, and of this surgical aspect and, and making sure that I was comfortable with what needed to be achieved, the beautiful thing about that procedure is that incorporated all the things I love most about dentistry. I loved surgery. I love aesthetics and right. I love changing people's lives. So for me, it was like the holy grail. It was a trifecta of things all in two or three days. Obviously, a mm. lot of planning goes into the background, but someone can come in, have the have the terminal dentition removed, everything played out and planned according to your smile design. Three days later, we screw in the perfect smile and it's like, wow, and everything just comes into play. Sure. That's why I was so besides the the longevity of, of this procedure um, I used to stick a lot more implants in in certain cases because I was trained the more implants the better uh, but that's not necessarily the case because more implants mm. means harder to clean so if you place the right implants on the right set of teeth and give the patient the ability to maintain so that was something I had to get my head around initially with all on four and a lot of people that criticize all on four don't really follow it to a T. You know, we're coming up to 10 years now and 600, 700 cases later, I think we've got it down pat and we're seeing the results. Um, failure rates are, are very, very low and I'm, a, you know, in less than 0.5%, which is pretty, pretty high in dentistry. So wow. for me, I'm totally convinced of the protocol. Um, and again, we're always refining it. We're using digital uh, technology. Um, our teeth have changed over the years in terms of how we provide uh, the the reinforcements and uh, using digital to, to improve it. But the mm. satisfaction of that sort of treatment is pretty amazing. Yeah, my favorite thing about it is that it's not a cookie cutter approach. Uh, I love how, as you said before, there's a massive element of aesthetic dentistry that still comes into it because you're not just oh, yeah. pulling a different set of dentures out of a packet and plugging all the same looking teeth in. You're actually designing everybody their own unique smile that is theirs at the end of the day. It's, it's a lot of planning and it, and because, and this is important, the planning and it's facially driven treatment. So 
I got to work out where the ideal tooth position is and then work backwards where the implant is. Because sometimes where the implant can sit is not where the tooth should be. Yeah, so right. I would have to place the implant higher. If there's no bone, then we have to look at different options. So um, where most of these procedures are done in inexperienced hands, they place the implants and say, okay, we've got the implants in, now let's put the teeth on. It should be the other way around. You need to design right. your smile look at the perfect position for your face and then work backwards because you, everything's got to be facially driven. The teeth have to be based on the face. Then I have to accommodate the implants that hold them, not the other way around. And this is where you get terrible cases and poor clinical judgment where these people are walking around with amazing implants, but the teeth don't fit because mm. the implants weren't placed in the right position. And that's a real problem because right. if, you, if you have an implant that's integrated in your jawbone, Good luck getting it out. They have to be literally drilled out. And that's probably one of the, the worst things for a patient to go through, having yeah. had all this work and surgery, to say to them, well, sorry, your implant's in the wrong position. I need to remove them and place them in a different position. So that's, that's, yeah. that's often a conversation I don't like to have. And that's something where design, digital dentistry, smile design stops you from having those issues. Absolutely. I suppose you're eliminating the risk at the end because you can design the outcome and then you can, with the technology you've got, you can so closely, almost exactly nail exactly what you had planned from the get-go and provide the smile that they'd seen through the, the digital smile design. Um, yeah, yeah, that's spot on. So, so something like this, DSD included, all on four as well, what actually, what actually makes a new technology or a procedure or a treatment stand out to you? Look, I guess if it makes my deliverables much more predictable. That's what I see. I mean, one thing I never got, I'll give you an example. I mean, a lot of colleagues of mine love them and they use them. I never really found a place for them in my practice is lasers in dentistry. I mean, I, I do a lot of soft tissue and, and cauterization and so forth. So that, that's something that I never really gelled or clicked with or, or I could see that it can improve. Whereas all these smile design techniques and, and scanning and milling technology, I could see that that would make my um, the deliverables of my outcome much more predictable. So it has to be about predictability. Um, ease, being able to replicate the treatment and predictability in the aesthetic outcome. And if, it, if that's a tool that can do that with uh, you know, little complexity, then that's what I would steer towards. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So that I guess those two of the past 10 years, in your opinion, what do you think the next five years look, looks like? What do you think one of the biggest advancements in dentistry will be like in the next five years? Regenerative medicine. I mean, the area of medicine uh, in terms of regeneration. So regenerative medicine in dentistry, um, using, uh, finding tools, techniques um, to help regenerate gum, soft tissue, possibly enamel, um, being able to rebuild um, using using that sort of technology is where I see it heading. Mm. I'm already using that in in our soft tissue and gum te regeneration techniques. We're using PRF. We're using uh, uh, special techniques. Uh, one of them is Endogame, which is sort of like a, a, a progenitor cell uh, stimulation. It's like a plasma cell type material just to mm. regenerate. So that's where I see dentistry heading, right. to be honest. Uh, have you heard of oligopeptides before? I have heard of them. I don't know too much about it. 
that was really interesting. I was actually reading about them the other day. First of all, you would not believe how expensive they are. <laughs> for me, this was the uh -huh. most fascinating. For me, this is the most fascinating part. It's 440 US dollars per 10 milligrams. And if my math uh -huh. is correct, I believe a teaspoon is 220,000 US dollars. Wow. And what are they used for? Uh, I might butcher this, but I believe oligopeptides, what they do is they actually allow for a natural remineralization. So they can pull the calcium that's from your saliva and naturally remineralize the enamel, which obviously yeah. your tooth doesn't have the ability to do. So we do have sort of synthetic remineralization with, you know, nanohydroxapatite, types of fluoride, yeah, CPP, yeah, ACP and so forth. Yeah. But this is actually a natural remineralization. So it's, it isn't used widely at all yet it's quite sort of understudied i believe um but i, I was reading about it. it was fascinating i'll have to send you some some papers to read yeah is that that was in the uk was that out of the uk in london um, i believe it could have been yeah i believe it could have been yeah and how what's the application have they how do they actually apply it um, I've seen it in one product so far and it was almost came in a little glass jar and you painted it onto your teeth and let it sit um, and yeah. for, for a period of time and then essentially rinsed your mouth out. Um, but yeah, that's the only single product that I've seen that actually includes it so far. Yeah. Yeah. I have read about it, but I didn't see any data on it. I mean, it, mm. it sounds incredible. It sounds amazing. I mean, it, it would probably change, uh, oral health, particularly in the third world where, um, you know, where, where that's such a big problem and to be able mm. to do that in areas where they don't have access to drills and, and clinics to be able to do that, um, particularly in, uh, in, in young children. Yeah, absolutely. Well, regenerative medicine is a great answer because it seems like that's something that's slowly beginning to become sort of more and more common and because it's so necessary at the end of the day as well. Um, well, Dr. Fatty, that's almost all the time that we have, but at the end of every podcast, we do a segment called Quick Fire Questions. So I'm going to ask you a couple oh, of questions. Yeah, so uh, the first answer off the top of your head um, and yes. we'll, we'll jump straight in. So the first question is, I actually think you've sort of already answered this when we spoke at the start, but the first question was going to be, did you have a role model in the early days of your career? Definitely. Uh, my role model was uh, the first dentist that I worked for. I'm happy to share his name, Dr. Ian Walters, amazing clinician. Um, and interestingly enough, I got him to come and open my practice at FY Smile uh, about a year ago and he was 95 years old and he wow. came in and it still has a passion for dentistry is incredible. So for me, that's a big deal. I mean, if I see someone like that, that's got so much passion over many years, it tells me it's a great profession and that's how yeah. I see it. I suppose anybody coming up in sort of any industry, having a mentor like that would just serve as the biggest not, not advantage, but also just uh, a driving force for the passion in what you do as well. Seeing somebody else be so accomplished and so passionate at what they do as well. It's, yeah. it's amazing that you had someone like that. Yeah, look, I'm very fortunate. I mean, I, I, I can't put into words how lucky I am. And that's why it's so important for everyone in any profession. If you can find that right mentor, that person that you can aspire to and, and really look up to, because then you, you, you've got a benchmark for yourself. Because I'm no trailblazer, you know, I, I basically will find something and if I see it works, I'll push, but I'm certainly no pioneer. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to respectfully disagree because the work that you've been doing at FI Smile is, is nothing short of innovative and uh, I mean, it's incredible for the patients there. So we'll oh, jump to the I've next question. Manager. 
<laughs> we'll jump to the next question. It is name one person in your industry whose work you currently admire. Uh, one guy. There is a guy that I really love his aesthetic work in Dubai. His name is Alush Duval. He's got a cool name. He's got beautiful aesthetic work. And I'm always, I admire two things, his photography, um, his patients. He's got very good-looking patients and his, his dentistry is amazing. So mm. there's one that I was always checking out his Insta. Yeah, I can do that. Awesome. <laughs> Alush Duval. All right. It is a cool Alush name. Duval. Right. Well, he's got a cool name. Yeah, it does. It's a cool name. Yeah. He's got his caps. Well, well, he's got his... Uh, yeah, check him out. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. We'll actually... We'll send him this clip and we'll see if we can get him on the podcast soon too. <laughs> get him on there. Yeah, he's a cool dude. All right. Next question is, if this wasn't your profession, what do you see yourself doing instead? Architect architect that was quick architect yeah yeah that was it that was always yeah i think i would have been knocked so do you think uh designing the fy smile clinic was sort of your your play on that other life or, or well the thing is i'll have to take that back architect or plastic surgeon i'm in two months right right i mean there's no reason why you still can't be a plastic surgeon as well as a dentist yeah hey, Jabelle, right. yeah Three days one stop shop architecture two days why not yeah definitely um and the last question is for all of the young people currently finishing their degrees and entering the industry what's your most important piece of advice for them like i said find yourself a great mentor and never stop learning because what you what you know when you come out of uni isn't that much um and the more the more you attach yourself to a really good clinician and don't rush things. It's not going to happen overnight. I have noticed with these new graduates that I deal with, um, they like to learn things really quickly and they want to master things. It's taken me 30 years to get to this point and I still don't think I know everything and I'm mm. always learning. So they need to just slow it down, align themselves with someone that loves their job because that's most important. So a good mentor and someone that loves what they're doing because you want to have that mindset from the beginning. Um, you don't want to just finish university and be attached to someone that hates going to work, is depressed about you know treating mm. patients. You want someone that's really passionate because that's infectious. But if you align yourself with someone like that, then it will change your mindset. And you need someone that you can pick up the phone and ask, um, discuss any case, and have someone that you know has a good good grounding mm. and understanding of dentistry. Yeah. Well, incredible advice and very humbly said as well. Um, Dr. Fadi, thank you very, very much for joining us this week. Um, I've learned plenty myself and I hope our listeners have as well. Um, I really hope that we can have you back on the podcast soon to talk through some of, more, some of the more exciting things that you guys are doing down at FY Smile Sydney. Anytime. And I look forward to when the borders open up to have you up here. Definitely. Definitely. Thanks, Dr. Fadi. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Dental IQ. If you enjoyed the podcast, please follow us and leave a rating. And you can also find us on Instagram at dental underscore IQ. If you'd like to join us on Dental IQ or have any topics that you want us to cover, you can reach me at fabio at dentaliq.com.au. Thank you so much for joining us again. We hope to catch you next week. Dental IQ is produced by Highsmile.